Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? Looking forward to Christmas? Yeah, almost there, aren't we? I always feel like November and December always goes really quickly. I don't know, as with you with work stuff as well, there's always lots to do and lots to try and finish. So it feels like we're we're close. We're close. How about yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... Yeah, I've got another week or so in the office before I take some time off, which will be nice. Been a been a busy year, um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, I guess it, in some ways it's nice to take the time off as well over Christmas, just because of the amount of folks on to watch. Well, theoretically, hopefully, going to be on to watch. Yes, <laughs> yes that, is, that is true. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah, hopefully it's no more than a game or two, a, a match round, but we know these things can add up. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, we've got a few, a few sort of um, yeah current topics to to go through. One we're sort of revisiting to a degree, bearing in mind obviously the the great work that you've you've been done you've done recently and have published and publicised as well. So I was wondering if we start on the biannual biannual World Cup and we talked about obviously a while back about you know could FIFA turn the Men's World Cup into a um, uh, an event every two years and um, you, you basically um, published a really interesting insightful set of thoughts recommendations views generally and I think it would be great just to hear more about it and some of the rationale for it. Yes yeah, it's, it's one of the nice things about um, this piece of work we've been working at the World Leagues Forum and uh, it's nice that we've been able to publish the work because often, as as we both know, working in the sports industry is, is often difficult to talk about some of the work that you've done um, and the partners you've supported on the way. And um, it's been nice to be able to talk about this piece of work which we did with the World Leagues Forum, who are a body that represent over 40 leagues um, around the world on all six continents um, and naturally obviously defend the interests of um, of leagues in um, uh, across the world. And um the biennial world cup uh, and um other proposals associated with that including extended release periods which we'll get on to and uh potentially an expanded club world cup happening every say one to four years uh, were all things that threatened the uh status of of leagues in um uh in their various countries so um they commissioned us to do to do a report to look at the sporting and uh calendar impacts of a biennial world cup and expanded Club World Cup and extended release periods. Uh, so we were able to publish a report a couple of weeks ago at their annual meeting in, in London and present the report as well um, to, to a kind of select audience of, of leagues. Um, and, and a super interesting project to, to be involved in. Um, so obviously a lot of fans um, in in this country uh, and I think generally around the world, there were a couple of surveys that were put out um, that looked at fan response to the Bionia World Cup and it was generally negative in the sense that most people preferred a World Cup of years and the kind of special te- status it has because of it, um, but obviously um, the the that isn't necessarily sufficient. There needs to be kind of a, a build building up of argumentation for it. And and just to summarise it, really, we can get into the points perhaps interest you the most. But first and foremost, you know the the international match calendar is and, and general football calendar is massively squeezed. Um, there's very little room for manoeuvre, and we're going to really see that over the coming weeks with with these potential COVID postponements. Um, and introducing a biennial World Cup may not obviously affect uh, a lot of European leagues, but a lot of leagues like MLS and League and, and other major leagues around the world uh, run calendar year seasons, and a biennial World Cup really kind of um, has a massive impact on those leagues. And a lot of the time, those leagues that play calendar year seasons are, are developing leagues as well. Um, they they obviously increase the strain on, on top players, um, and we did some estimations of the increase in kind of injury days for, for top players. Um, extended release periods we think would place even more strain on on um, top players because obviously if you're 
usually during a qualifying campaign, a, a country gets to use up to 30, 40 players. But if you're condensing it down into one um, short period, then then your top players are going to be playing all the games um, in that period. Um, and then finally, on the Club World Cup, again, very little room in the calendar to play that. Um, you know, leagues like the Premier League just literally have no weekends and midweeks left um, to fill. Um, and they also, um, for smaller leagues, threaten competitive balance with some of the proposed prize money distribution. So a, a lot of issues um, with, with FIFA's proposals. And, um, uh, and yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, it looks like FIFA are kind of backing down on, on some of them or, or certainly looking to get into some proper consultations on some of them because they, um, they, they were certainly not <laughs> warmly welcomed by the vast majority of the football community. So getting into a little bit of the detail, you know, I remember one of the, the thoughts we were having was and something that you sort of highlighted sort of play a load um, more generally. Um, that's combined with obviously, um, you know, we were talking about at the time, I'm not sure if you go into the same type of detail with it a while back around, you know, when do you buy for other types of competitions, you know, a particular international windows throughout the year that FIFA were, were thinking about, you know, a, a, how how has their how has their thinking evolved, and how has the sort of world league view that you've put across um, interlinked with some of those evolving positions? Yeah, and the clarity from from FIFA only came relatively late in the day. I think it was in kind of October time. We work on this project since about July, um, and, and some of the proposals put forward had kind of began to get formulated relatively late in the day. Um, but but the ultimately the kind of key proposals was a World Cup happening annually, oh sorry, a summer tournament happening annually in June with alternating FIFA World Cup and Continental Championships uh, 11 days pre-release before tournament uh, and then release periods of uh, anywhere between um, 28 uh, and 31 days either in one block or, or, or two block um, and so you take that as a guide and you go okay well what is the impact of that on uh, on the, the players as a, as a kind of key stakeholder that's very rarely consulted on these things and when we look to the modelling, if you consider the amount, the increase in, in international tournaments, the increase in, in Club World Cup matches, <clears throat> what we found were players were like top players were likely to play up to six more matches a year. And if you look at the implication of that is one of two things. Either they increase in injuries, and by our estimation, that was an increase in injury days by about 18% um, over the course of the season from a baseline of uh, about 27 days at the moment, a kind of typical regular player at a top in a top league is, is getting injured at the moment um, and or players will be rotated out of domestic league matches so if um, you are Barcelona or PSG or whoever else and, and have got top players your you, your players just simply can't be playing week in week out if they've got a summer tournament to look forward to and or a club world cup that's going to be you know potentially relatively prestigious so there's um, you know massive implications for for the ability of, of players to play in those um competitions um particularly for leagues uh, and then there's several other issues and i think the big elephant in the room on all of it is that ultimately leagues create virtually all of the value within football um leagues and clubs so, you know clubs develop the identify the players develop the players develop the fan bases you know, put them out on the pitch and, and occupy most of the calendar uh and pay obviously these players throughout the season including the periods in which they're released for, for national team games um, and that's a huge amount of value that clubs are delivering without anywhere near the levels of compensation that, that they probably deserve for, uh, for developing these players and, and putting them out for national team games. And, um, and this isn't necessarily a compensation com conversation. It's more around there's, there's got to be a balance between you know, recognising that the international game has a place and that there's kind of um, a lot of attraction to it. But you know, all, all these clubs are essentially taking on all the risk here on, on developing and, um, and, and paying the players. So is that then some type of quid pro quo where, for example, the 
the release compensation negotiations are reopened as to player release for particular tournaments, um, as you said, World Cups or um, continental tournaments as well. Did, did that come into the, the thinking at all? I, I, there, there is a potential co- compensation argument. I think it's more around acknowledging. So, so by our estimations, the players at the last World Cup were uh, players during the qualifying tournaments and the final tournaments. The players that were there were paid about $900 million in fixed salaries alone during that period. And the compensation to clubs was about two hundred million dollars um, in that period. So you got this mass. You've already got this kind of massive disconnect. And and whether FIFA are going to stump up an additional seven hundred million, possibly more. There's other estimates out there that actually um, have the number slightly higher. Um, I, I think maybe a debate to be had, but but it still doesn't necessarily compensate the risk that these clubs are taking on when they're sending national team duty and they come back injured or they come fired. Um, you know that it's you know the the salaries doesn't cover the entire cost of the players. You've got the transfer fees that the, the clubs are committed to those players. You've got things like signing fees, loyalty fees, agents fees, and so on that 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 clubs are kind of committed to. So uh, it's a very messy comp- conversation. Compensation, I think, from the league's perspective, it's more around like acknowledge that we're delivering this value. We're happy to deliver this value, but you know don't don't take the mickey as it were. Um, and 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 I think the other consideration for clubs as well is one of the things about extended release periods where players are away for you know a month with their national team in October or three weeks in, in October and March is in, in all leagues around the world fewer uh, the majority of players more than 50% of players are not national team players and actually in the most most leagues around the world you're talking about 75 80 90 percent of players that aren't national team players and so what you're having is players who are sitting on you know without any competitive matches for a month um, and they will then have to play players who are match fit and match ready when they return from international duty. And again, it's just one of those things that one of these ideas that hasn't been fully fleshed out and has been all the kind of unintended consequences haven't been considered. You know, we're talking about tens of thousands of, of non-international players here are going to be twiddling their thumbs for four weeks during extended release periods. So, again, I, I, I think there's, there are consultations to come on this. Um, I don't think the status quo is necessarily the answer. And I think the World League's Forum is very clear on that, that they don't necessarily see... You know, they recognise that there is potential for change in the international match calendar, but you've got to consider the knock-on effects of, of some of these changes, even if they seem, you know, even if they seem to follow logic, they often have unintended consequences. So, Amal, then what's the what what's what's next in terms of evolution? Is it simply stakeholders getting back around the table, and if if the FIFA position was basically anchoring the debate or starting the debate, does that mean, as you said, that, that there might well be systemic change to the calendar and release periods and, and structures? And obviously, bear in mind we've got Qatar in the middle of a season. Um, whether that will actually be um, an outlier or something that might happen more regularly is is, is next steps for stakeholders to be speaking a little bit more so and um and then see where things go in 2022 yeah i I think that is that is it really that there will i think there will be some reforms to the international match calendar Uh, i think there are there are frustrations i mean even as a fan like we've spoken about it before we've we've had this conversation during international week and and kind of gone oh it's international week um which you know is perhaps a reflection on the calendar not working as well as it as it could or should um so i think there will be reforms i think by any world cup is is probably odds against now but um that's that's merely from my kind of conversations and, and reading of it um at the moment um but yeah it, it will be it will be a discussion to evolve and I, I think things will will change a little bit but certainly not to the, the dramatic degree that that fifa originally proposed without perhaps the, the level of consultation that um yeah that perhaps um yeah certainly a lot of the other stakeholders whether it's the whether it's fifa pro as world leagues forum whether it's um uefa you know all these other bodies who, who feel like they perhaps should be well they really should have been consulted on these issues certainly weren't 
Should we should we uh, should we pivot on to uh, on to Champions League, Dan? Because it was uh, it was a bit of a fun fun story in the week. Indeed. I mean, uh, I was I can't remember where I was. It's going in between a meeting or a walk or something. Family WhatsApp group are buzzing about uh, buzzing on about the particular draws. Liverpool gets Salzburg. Um, there's some other really juicy ties as well. And then um, all of a sudden, it's announced pretty quickly that balls are not in the right place. Um, uh, you know, teams have been drawn that otherwise wouldn't have been able to be drawn against each other, and uh, and all the different permutations hadn't quite happened. And uh, pretty much an hour or so after the draw had happened, it, it sounded like there was a pretty quick, pretty quickly notification from UEFA that there'd been a software and that um, things were going to have to be um, redone again. And <laughs> I was only looking at this about, you know, just after finishing a bit of work and uh, Omar, you said that I was going to try and give everyone the basis for how UEFA decided to um, have the redraw. And that <laughs> unfortunately, and I'm probably sure someone's going to come and say that there is a provision somewhere. But when I was looking through specifically the, the Champions League um, regulations for this season, all I could find was the catch-all provision in the closing provisions, which is Article 84, looking for unforeseen circumstances. So it more or less says that if there's any matters not seen in the regulations, um, UEFA or the president and or the general secretary can um, uh, can make a decision in the circumstances. I looked for the draw, I looked for the mechanics or otherwise, and couldn't really see anything, which effectively looks like it's just UEFA has been given the discretion, possibly by Article 84, to be able to do the redraw and as much as you know people might have been more or less satisfied with the um the outcomes it looked like you know really that once the the different permutations of what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable in terms of who you've previously been drawn against or otherwise don't work and those rules effectively aren't put in place then you know i think there's probably only one outcome that can be achieved as a result and and the the great thing that um, I saw the 21st group guys did pretty quickly with Oriel, which was um, effectively who had, in a, on a weighted basis, um, benefited or otherwise from the redraw, bearing in mind the original draw. And um, yeah, you guys put something out really quickly, which was very cool. Yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, credit to Oriel and our team who um, kind of compared the two draws. So the big winner of the draw, the redraw, as it were, was, was Bayern Munich. Um, so there their odds of, of winning the Champions League increased by by 6%. And it's important to bear in mind here that our model only really gives a meaningful, it depends what how you define meaningful, I suppose, but only give, it gives a kind of decent chance of Bayern Munich winning the Champions League. There, there are a number of teams who have kind of between, well, less than 3% chance of, of winning the Champions League. Um, and, and as such, the kind of swing in overall win probability for the Champions League is, is relatively low. But Bayern Munich had a, had a relatively big swing of plus uh, 6%. They were originally drawn against Atletico Madrid, who, albeit perhaps aren't quite as strong as what um, they were last year. We still rate them as the eighth best team in, in world football and, and therefore, you know, certainly a force to be, be reckoned with. So getting Salzburg instead, who we rate as the 30th best team in world football, roughly the same level as, as Leicester City. You know, you fancy, you fancy Bayern Munich to be over two legs. Um, you know, Atletico, a, a team that's probably somewhere between Chelsea and, and Man United in, in our models. Is um, is a much tougher proposition. So, buying the big winners by, by some distance, uh, Man City a, a slight increase of two percent, but ultimately would have been probably happy with either draw. Uh, big losers actually. I was a little bit surprised by it, but, but our model rated Liverpool as the kind of biggest losers of uh, of the draw again because they're starting from a relatively high base. Um, we give them now. Well, we estimate they lost about four percent chance of winning the Champions League. We now have them at about fifteen percent to win the Champions League. Third favourites behind. Uh, Bayern and, and City, um, so not yeah, not a great result for Liverpool. Again, into into we actually rate at a relatively similar level to Atletico 
Um, whereas again, they had Salzburg originally. So again, you'd fancy Liverpool over two legs against a team like Leicester City, but but much tougher against a, a top four, top five Premier League level team. Um, uh, and obviously Real Madrid, um, who we again rate as a reasonably good team, a little bit worse, a little bit worse than Chelsea, uh, our fifth favourites for, for the Champions League, um, were. Yeah, I, I can't remember who they drew originally. Was it Benfica? Um, who I think they were quite happy with, and, and have since got PSG, which um, which is a less than favourable draw. Um, you know, very little change for um, for the likes of Salzburg. Obviously, Chelsea drew the same team. Um, Man United a, a slight positive increase, but mostly because we don't rate Man United as one of the, the kind of top favourites um, for the competition. Um, so therefore, not having a not having a big boost to their overall overall odds. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I, th- I thought it was quite entertaining more than anything else. I mean, I was just th- I was just very briefly racking my brains to see of a situation where a redraw has has happened like like that. Because um, usually, obviously, if you're talking about cup competitions, it's le- uh, domestic cup competitions is less likely with just a, a random draw because you don't have to worry about um, seeded versus non-seeded and teams that have already played each other in the group. So it's not as complicated a formula, basically, in order to, to get right. But yeah, I, I, I can't recall some sort of a, an equivalent happening for some time, apart from, you know, when you'd heard in years gone by about sort of heated balls or otherwise, or, you know, the, the Italian... Um, Calcogli um, scandal, whenever it was in the mid two thousands, where there was there was rumours about such things happening or otherwise, but I can't really remember of something like this and then having to be redrawn accordingly. No, I don't think so. I mean, I might be completely making this up, but I seem to remember something with one of the nineteen eighties World Cups where there was a bit of a botched draw. But obviously, nowadays it's all driven by a computer that kind of tells. Um, you what the implications on your right in the group stages is quite complex because there's there's not just you can't draw you know teams from the same country there's also certain teams are paired so Liverpool and Man United are always kept on separate halves of, of the Champions League groups i.e. one will be in A to D another will be in um, E to H um, whereas in, in the knockouts that's, that's less of an issue um, so yeah I think most people would be kind of amazed the, the level of sophistication that now goes into things like scheduling and draws. Um, so we do we do a bit of scheduling with a, with a couple of um, Asian leagues um, and, and trying to optimise their schedule given all the different parameters and constraints that, they, that exist, which which are many in, in a lot of cases. Um, making sure that, that schedules can be can be formulated and it, is, it can be relatively um, sophisticated. But yeah, I think in this case it, it just seems a bit bizarre. I think whoever it was just mixed up Liverpool and Man United basically and uh, <laughs> ended up being a redraw, which uh, I don't. I, I mean, I guess I don't. Th- I wouldn't let any club would have any grounds to to, um, to to kind of lodge an appeal or anything because they they tend to do simulated draws anyway, don't they? Um, beforehand, and so it just happens to be the one simulation that they eventually settle on. Well, it's true. I mean, I was thinking this, this might have been the first ever draw that was done three times to a degree, which was you always get the practice one, then you have the real one, and then the subsequent one was uh, was done. So, yeah, I'm I'm not not necessarily convinced there's ever been uh, yeah a cup competition that's through practice and other rounds has happened three times. But I'm uh, I'll I'll wait to hear differently. And um, yeah, so we just had a few minutes at the end to talk about the COVID uh, and everything with the new variant that's happening and. The reason why I thought it was worthwhile is obviously we saw last week Spurs um, postponement, um, not being able to have their UEFA 
um, oh, sorry, UEFA Conference League Cup tie, which basically, dependent on the outcome of the sort of UEFA disciplinary proceedings, might might push them out of the um, of the competition. And then we've obviously got postponements that's going on at the moment. I was at the same time having a quick look at the the Premier League handbook on um, competition interruption. And for everyone that I'm sure will be rushing to the Premier League handbook afterwards, um, it's actually Appendix 17 on page 573 of the the Premier League handbook, which actually talks all about the postponements and rearrangements of um of the games but basically what the the rules seem to suggest is that the new covid protocols mean that the premier league more or less will only permit rearrangement or postponement in exceptional circumstances which is interesting considering that um what the guidance says is that permission for a postponement won't be granted club has 14 or more players from their squad list available which means that for the, i presume then for the postponements there must have been a significant number of first team players unavailable to be able to to play those matches which i found um quite interesting and i think more generally what what might be the case in the in the coming months it seems like a lot of players and or the general public are you know contracting or recontracting covid to a degree is that you know there's a query about whether there might even need to be a circuit breaker to the season again whether that's even a possibility when it might lead to the season overrunning again and what that means for fixture rescheduling Um, and that's obviously not bearing in mind also teams like chelsea for example that i think are going to the club world cup I think is it uh, is it in the UAE possibly in February where they're going to miss two or three Premier League games. So there's a there's I, mean, I can only imagine what the fixture scheduling and re, and congestion and rescheduling is going to look like for um, the rest of the season when it's already tight at um, at best instance. So I think there's um, going to be quite a few people looking at the uh, the, the regulations in the coming um, weeks and months to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I think I mean I already Spurs um, if. If they manage to get through, obviously I don't know how that might be done, but if they were to get through in the Conference League, they've already got two postponed games, they would be going through to the Conference League playoff round, which is two midweeks in, in February, which, you know, in theory, wouldn't have other Premier League games. I'm, I'm, I know there's also a, a rule, I don't know if they've kind of relaxed it around um, UEFA obviously don't like domestic league, first division domestic league matches played at the same time as their games, but I suspect given all this that they, they potentially have to relax it because in all leagues are going to be postponements that are going to have to take place in Champions League and Europa League midweeks, uh, you know, and ideally at the same time, because it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's, it's not no fault of the league to, to have those games postponed. So uh, do, do we know, do we know, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here, but I, I promise I wouldn't do, do this to you in the prep, but do we know what a curtailment of the season is, what the rules are around that? I think, we, so when I was having a look at the, the regs, um, what it was actually mentioning was um, that actually, um, if from reading particular parts of it, that if um, the Premier League decides not to reschedule or postpone, the game has to effectively go on. So um, query whether actually it might take place with a, a, appropriately, as they call it, appropriately experienced under 21 players, potentially. Like, for example, I remember when Liverpool, I think, went to the Club World Cup and they fielded more or less an under 21 team in a, in a I think it was a Carabao Cup game against Villa, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I just right. wonder whether... You know that might be something which might you know might be difficult to do, or what clubs might actually have to do in terms of fielding very very inexperienced teams at particular instances in order to get games moving. But um, yeah, for our next Dan and Omar, I will look into the curtailment provisions as well, which um, I've got a feeling are not very short and might take some time to digest. Yeah, well, that that Premier League handbook is is a mighty read, so uh, I'd want to want to take on holiday with you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's. Look, I think there's a wider point as well as Naroma, which is 
Um, and by the way, I'm not going to be taking that on holiday with me. You'll be pleased to know. But um, more, more to the point, it was, you know, what does this, what does this mean for revenue generation or um, otherwise? You know, we saw recently the Premier League um, rolling over the the Amazon, uh, Sky, and BT deal for another three years to give that, you know. Um, uh, monetary comfort to the, to the clubs what happens if over a period of time whenever that might be that either fans are limited in stadia like i think they are in germany at the moment i think if i remember correctly um, and other european countries and and whether then actually there might be the possibility of actual televised games being postponed again or otherwise which obviously eat into that revenue generation source that you know clubs have absolutely relied on especially over these last couple of years so you know i'm sure the worry for the fes and owners at a lot of clubs at the moment not necessarily just the premier league clubs but throughout Europe and the world is, you know, what happens when a significant amount of squad as members, as we are seeing at Villa, at United, at Spurs and other clubs, um, might be um, might be COVID-related postponements and what that actually means for games to be put on the TV or otherwise. Yeah, and, and it's a bit, I think it's probably underestimated the extent to which broadcasters care about this kind of stuff. So um, the... Part of the World League's forum work, actually, which uh, which was another study that was done, was looking at the impact of if you have a biennial World Cup and Club World Cup that will force more games into into midweeks, and and in a lot of leagues, midweek audiences on TV are, are roughly half, um, if not worse, um, of weekend audiences, and so you know a Spurs Burnley game or uh, um, what was the other one, Spurs Brighton game that that was previously on a weekend now will be in a midweek will if on TV, particularly internationally, will we'll draw a much, much lower audience because obviously half the world is asleep, the other half's at work, there's only a narrow window in Europe that can um, that can watch it. Um, so broadcasters get involved and, and I'm sure post-COVID that there would have been all kinds of negotiations and so on on that. So uh, yeah, it will be, it will continue to be messy. We're, we're doing a lot of work with investors at the moment, looking at um, forecasting revenues and so on and having to look at the various revenue figures that have come out the last two seasons, two complete seasons through COVID and trying to wade through that and make forecasts about the future. You know, don't envy the clubs at, at this stage because it's, it's very, very unpredictable. Totally agree. Are we going to do a uh, pre-Christmas um, Dan Loma show next week for for the, the hordes and crowds, basically? Or Yeah, why not? Well, if we find a topic to debate, there's, if there's something interesting in the build-up to Christmas, why not? Perfect. Well, I've got a feeling not too many weeks over the last few years have been uh, news, uh, uh, not newsworthy. So I'm positive there's going to be lots of stuff on the horizon. So looking forward to chatting to you next week, Paul. Nice one. Cheers, Dan. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast, like, share, and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.